0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Uh, Very warm welcome to Scorebox. It's Monday morning with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. Uh, Sterling edging lower after S&P... Puts puts UK on, uh, on warning for a downgrade uh, as UK economy potentially looking at a negative outlook there from S&P. As the Conservative Party conference kicks off in Birmingham, the Prime Minister Liz Truss defends her tax cut plans but admits the government could have communicated better.
2: I do stand by the package we announced and I stand by the, by the fact that we announced it quickly because we had to act. But I do accept we should have laid the ground better. There were, there, I do there, accept that.
1: Uh, the Dow tumbles 500 points on Friday, closing below the 29,000 mark in the worst September since 2002.
3: Ukraine recaptures the eastern city of Lyman in a defined show of force as Russian President Vladimir Putin signs accession treaties, formalizing the illegal annexation of four Ukrainian regions.
1: We will protect our land by all forces and means we have, and we will do everything to provide a secure life to our people. This is the great liberation mission of our people.
3: Oil jumps as OPEC Plus producers reportedly consider cutting output by more than a million barrels per day in a bid to put a floor under prices.
1: And Credit Suisse reportedly rushing to reassure investors after fresh rumours circulate about the bank's financial health triggering a sharp increase in spreads in the Swiss lenders' credit default swaps. So I'm struggling a little bit with the terminology, I'll be honest with you, with S&P. They haven't actually cut the rating on the UK, but they have put it on a negative watch. And I notice our friends over at Reuters have said, cuts the UK rating outlook. But, but I still have a problem that. You cut the rating, but do you cut the outlook or do you put it on a more cautious outlook? I think it's, a, it's tautology, but I think it matters in the Bond world.
3: Reduce or alter?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm playing with it myself in my own head. I mean, you could argue that they have cut the outlook, but they have basically put it on a negative outlook as yeah, well. The
3: negative conversations yeah. around
1: the and, and it matters. It matters and it doesn't matter because as we all know, uh, if you, for instance, say the UK is more likely to have a lower outlook, uh, or lower credit rating, the UK is not going to default for one good reason and one good reason only, it prints its own paper. Now, if international investors, whose largesse we live by, uh, demand a greater yield for that paper by uh, basically not buying bonds or gilts until they get to a lower level, then that's a different thing. But actually, UK can't default per se, because no. it issues its own paper. But it's you, a very complex world. You
3: can have a lower rating. Where it becomes interesting is if you've got three ratings agencies, typically would that give you that same lower rating. I feel like we're going back over financial crisis era terminology yeah. and why it was important. So one moving is symbolic. Do the others start to move? And how close are we getting to an actual downgrade here to a lower rating?
1: It seems almost incredible that we have to wait now uh, until November 23rd to see how the independent Office of Budget Response is going to cost this it seems quite extraordinary that this was rushed out this mini budget and it was rushed out there is no doubt about it within a couple of weeks of Liz Truss taking over we had this new mini budget but not costed and I find that quite extraordinary so does S&P to be fair Uh, standard pause has changed its outlook in the UK to negative from stable after the Bank of England was forced to intervene amid market chaos from the government's mini budget the ratings agency maintains the UK's AA credit rating but says the finance minister Kwasi Kwarteng's package would widen the budget deficit by 2.6 percentage points of GDP by 2025.
3: The UK Conservative Party gathers in Birmingham this week for its annual party conference. Prime Minister Liz Truss will try to heal divisions left by the mini-budget. The controversial plan has seen the Conservatives plummet in the polls, with some agencies reporting record leads for the opposition Labour Party. Trust will reportedly now delay a vote on scrapping the top rate of income tax after senior lawmakers hit out of the plan on the first day of the conference, according to our sister channel Sky News. However, Trust continued to defend the wider policy in an interview with the BBC. It is part of an overall package
2: mm-hmm. of making our tax system simpler and lower. But I think it's worth noting in the package we announced, the vast majority of that package is the energy package. And we've talked a lot about that, but I want to talk about It's the energy package, it's national insurance. The 45p rate actually raises very little and makes our tax system more complicated. And we we need to move away. We need to move away from the idea that everything is about how we redistribute resources. We also need to make sure we have got a tax system that's competitive internationally, and it's helping us bring in the investment, Get people into work.
1: I mean, sterling at the moment is around the flat line for today's session, but it has recovered against the dollar since it hit an all time low amid concerns over how £45 billion worth of tax cuts would be financed. However, the pound is still down more than 15% on the year. Uh, the pressure is on the uh, Finance Minister uh, Kwasi Kwarteng, Chancellor Exchequer, we call it in this country, uh, to calm the markets in his speech at the conference later today. Arabella is on the ground in Birmingham. Arabella, I was look- good morning to you by the way, and welcome to the, the strange world that is Conservative Party conferences. Um, I'm a bit of a veteran myself, so I'm very glad you're doing it, to be honest. Uh, but but, but in, in all honesty, Arabella, I watched your hit earlier on with Hadley, and I thought it was fascinating and, and very informative. But one thing you said, and I have no doubt that that's the case, because you've been speaking to a lot of uh, conservatives up in Birmingham. That you're saying it's more a question of presentation that the party has a problem with rather than the actual policies themselves and i find that extraordinary given that poll that karen just put up and we'll put it up again on the screen in a few moments time showing that actually they face one of the greatest electoral defeats potentially if the poll is right 34 percentage points behind the the uh, labor party or 33, I beg your pardon, one of the greatest electoral defeats of all time, potentially, if that were to transpire in the polls. I find that extraordinary that all they care about is the presentation of the policy. Good morning, sir.
0: Yeah, good morning, Steve. Look, it certainly is the case that they would be worried about presentation as noted above because a lot of them, as I've spoken to, have really highlighted that as a key uh, metrics. I suppose what they could also be doing is just pandering to Cameron, ensuring that they're not uh, perhaps uh, lambasting her across the line, just on media uh, as well. So that could be a key element to ensuring uh, that they don't necessarily seem too far out of touch with her. But certainly that question mark, particularly around those taxes, would be the key element. As you said, even uh, delaying the vote with regards to that and ensuring then uh, that question marks around how exactly that will be put together is going to be very important and, and, and uh, ideally significant. I even got to speak uh, to the uh, Minister of Business then as well, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and he even was saying that, you know, they don't feel like they're moving away from fiscal prudence, and even felt that it was even stupid to even consider that as a thought. And I, and I found that remark to be uh, quite uh, weird as well, considering that they are actually moving away quite a bit uh, from those measures. Uh, Liz Trust has moved to be quite drastic and dramatic in the things she has uh, put forward, particularly on the tax front, plus, of course, the energy price guarantees, which have certainly been put forward. But let's get a sense exactly of how certain ministers uh, did react to, one, trust in Liz Truss's government and ensuring then that the tax uh, cuts themselves were perhaps something they did support somewhat, if that was the case. Let's listen in on what uh, a few of those ministers had to say. Minister, your confidence then just in Liz Truss's leadership thus far? Of course I have. Right. Are you worried at all about fiscal prudence with regards to Kwasi um, Kwarteng's uh, mini-budget? Uh, prudence was Gordon Brown. You'd better
1: ask him about prudence.
0: Are you worried I'm that fiscal is. prudence goes out the window with this mini-budget?
1: No, of course I'm not. silly question. We are going to get Britain moving, and we are going to make sure that we go for growth uh, to make sure that more people across this whole country uh, get good, well-paid jobs, keep more of their own money, and are able to look after themselves and their families. Well, look, the economy is the be-all and end-all. It's the only way we can pay for the schools and the hospitals and all the rest of that we need. And so, you know, the idea that we could neglect it, particularly because, and people have forgotten this, that the Bank of England was forecasting a pretty major recession uh, not very long ago, the idea that the government could sit back and not react seems to me would have been dilatory. Um, and so I'm, I'm very hopeful um, that the steps she's put in place will do what she wants, which is jolt the economy into growth and instead of arguing about how we divide up a shrinking pie we can grow the pie
0: and i suppose then steve this does give a clear message then right that they do support exactly what has been put forward to a certain extent it is just the little elements of how exactly they should uh, perhaps have done this uh, there were comments as well then from the education secretary uh, Minister then speaking about how perhaps they should have using a cricket analogy rolled the pitch a little bit more which again speaks to that notion of presentation and just ensuring that the market was perhaps a little more ready for this in order for it to happen but as we noted the IMF coming out with scathing words a downgrade on the outlook then by SNP as well it does give you a clear sense that not all is right, particularly when you have the Bank of England having to then intervene in the guilt market.
3: Stephen he ran the London marathon yesterday but that's uh, certainly keeping you on your toes I want to ask you a little bit more about that leadership battle because it's not usual where you turn up at your first uh, Tory party meeting as a new prime minister and having to fend yourself effectively around leadership ambitions we know the ex-chancellor Rishi Sunak wasn't even at the conference so just uh, give us a, a sense of how that's playing out behind the scenes if not on camera at this stage.
0: Yeah, so you are getting a sense that uh, a lot of people, particularly uh, Ben Wallace, the defense minister, coming out and actually uh, making note of how he doesn't believe that he would be any better uh, um, prime minister at this stage, feeling that uh, that he fully supports Liz Truss and her government at this stage. The question mark has certainly been around whether everybody can galvanize and give, give uh, List Trust the same mandate. Of course, we are expecting Kwasi Teng to actually uh, deliver uh, a message later today. That's going to be happening at 4.15 uh, BST, around 5.15 CET, which then means that we get a clearer message. It would be his first public address since that mini-budget. And of course, as Steve even noted then, we're then waiting for the November 23rd, perhaps at that stage would have been the right time to have released the mini-budget. But those questions are still being asked in and around here, Uh, certainly not uh, formally, but in in certain conversations that we've definitely had. A radical stance was needed is one of the messages we got as well uh, from one of the uh, Conservative Party members, who then said it was just about ensuring that the things that Liz Truss did uh, uh, get onto the campaign trail on were actually put forward. It's just about how soon she did that and perhaps sending that message forward.
1: Arabi, that's interesting you should mention campaign trail. We do not have to have another election in the United Kingdom until January 2025. But quite frankly, it seems to many inconceivable this government can limp on that long as well. Um, is, any thoughts about... Um, Her tenureship, and actually, dare I say it, where the letters are already going into Sir Graham Brady, the chair of the 1922 committee, uh, in order to have a vote of no confidence amongst her own MPs, a large percentage of them potentially could be losing their jobs sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, that is the big question, Mark. We actually did sort him and Brady. Uh, we did see him here yesterday as well. and We tried to get a word in with him, but he unfortunately uh, wasn't uh, very forthcoming to questions from us at that point. And we'll hopefully try and get a word to him and try and get a sense of those letters, uh, perhaps to the motion of no confidence against Liz Truss. I mean, it's only going to be a month on Wednesday, which is when she's expected to address the Conservative Party uh, conference, then, is Liz Truss as well. And in that month, I mean, imagine the number of things she's already had to face. And those questions around a vote of no confidence would also be uh, coming to the fore. But I suppose the what would... Be needed then from here is to kind of show uh, a sort of a confidence in what she's put forward. She has put out that mini budget. If she was to to and fro about it, it would even create a lot more uh, lack of confidence in her leadership. So I suppose at this time, she's gonna have to double down, if not uh, do a little bit more with regards to that budget and be on a firmer stance, so to speak, to ensure that markets are understanding of what it is she's actually put forward. Does it put the UK on a growth path? some conservative party members certainly think so
3: Yeah, just picking up on that point uh Arbile, and thank you very much for the coverage a note just landing in my inbox this morning and uh this is effectively from one of the big banks berenberg is now looking at the outlook and they've lowered it they say they are below consensus out there in the marketplace so based on the tightening of monetary conditions on the back of the policies announced by the trust government They've now lowered their 2023 call to minus 1.5%. They're at minus 1%. So we talk about contraction here, deeper to the downside and downgrades in the fourth quarter of this year to the tune of minus 1.2%. Quarter on quarter, they were at minus 0.8%. So uh, I think uh, the jury coming in now from some of the banking quarters about the slippage in growth as a result of policy um, action.
1: I have, having said my concerns about what the conservative government is doing at the moment and and how they're messaging it and the, i, I think i've heard the phrase tin ear or tone deaf quite a lot uh, about cutting for the higher rate taxpayers at the same time of potentially paying for this by having benefit cuts it flies in the face of political logic there is no doubt about that whatever you think about underlying economic policy but the, but the fact of the matter is there is real concern about the competence now not only of the um fiscal and monetary understanding of this government, but also, dare I say it, the critics haven't always got it right. And this is my other point I wanna raise, just to even this up. Yes, the Conservatives has done something which universally seems at the moment to be lambasted uh, using Uh, Arabides were but the fact of the matter is some of the critics of the UK have got it very badly wrong many times as well We know that the ratings agencies were woefully inadequate in their judging of the situation the great financial crisis And we also know that the IMF and I believe at the time and I'll I'll call my memory for this It was Olivier Blanchard who was the chief economist at the IMF um, when he put out a very critical piece about the UK economy uh, about a decade ago, actually, it, w- it was blatantly wrong. His, his estimates were wrong. So, yes, there's a lot of criticism. Yes, it appears very justified. But the critics haven't got a cast iron uh, tr- a track record of getting it right in the UK.
3: I'll go with you a little bit with this and just assume that this is what's in some ways uh, unorthodox or slightly innovative economic policy here. But it's not going to be allowed to play out, is it, potentially? I mean, if you look at some of the assumptions now from the Bank of England, you just get more tightening. So we're not going to get the growth because we're going to have, effectively, a slam on the brake type of policy by the Bank of England. If you look at how quickly those assumptions have moved, instead of 50 basis points in November, December, are the calls now in some quarters. This is Berenberg saying 100 basis points in November, followed by 75 basis points in December. So you've got that slowing of the economy any economic growth you get from the trust government through these policies will simply be ripped away potentially well so
1: you let's just let's just go there on the the 45% bracket the very very small number of Brits who pay a vast amount of tax do I think they should be paying 45% tax in the longer term absolutely not I think lower taxation policies are, are, are definitely a way of galvanizing some form of growth but the fact of the matter is at the moment is it right to do so I think that is an enormous question, but also those very, very wealthy people, let's say they've got mortgages because a lot of wealthy people do gear up as well. Let's say they've got pensions because a lot of very wealthy people do have very large pensions as well. The benefit they have achieved from potentially next April, getting a tax cut of 5% on their earned income Hasn't that been stunningly negated by the loss of money in their pensions uh, and and the loss uh, of money that they are going to have to be paying more for their mortgage costs as well and more for other financing as well? So was it really worth it? I'm asking you, you, you've given them something over here, but actually very wealthy people still have mortgages, still have pensions, and they've had real financial strain on that side of the budget. So, so yes, do I think lower tax in the, in the ideal world? Absolutely. Was now the right time to do it, and has it had beneficial effects for those individuals? i think the jury's out
3: i was totally thinking the same thing the other day i was trying to put a picture of it in my mind in terms of shopping bags i think we started with say a sainsbury's tesco bag we then upgraded on the back of those uh tax changes to say a fordham and masons or a selfridges <laughs> now i think we're at a poundland or a little at the end of it on the back of it so i feel you know in terms of the spending journey and disposable income that's that's the journey that we've well, been you know, given And
1: again i'll I make the point i'm sorry i know we're going on but this is so fascinating <laughs> We've got six months until those wealthy individuals uh, get that tax cut, and and, but in that period, look at the loss of their asset values, whether it be their property, whether it be the increased mortgage costs, whether their pension declines as well. There's a lot of reasons why those individuals might be thinking, crikey, yes, I'm very excited about my tax cut, but in the meantime, this is absolutely screwing me over.
3: Yeah, and when it arrives, it's going to be much-needed stimulus at that point, potentially, as we face a downturn, rather than some sort of which rescue measure here us back to
1: trickle-down, and whether yeah. that is trickle-down and whether it works as well, which again has been debated on a transatlantic basis quite a lot already.
3: We'll park the UK there for the moment, but let's talk about pricing pressures elsewhere. In the United States in particular, price pressures continue to rise in the US economy in August as the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index topped expectations, rising 0.3%. The Fed's preferred inflation gauge rose to 6.2% on an annual basis. Several FOMC members have reiterated their pledge to tame inflation in recent days, with Chair Jerome Powell promising to keep going until the job is done. Speaking of getting the job done, someone did uh, clear them the London Marathon <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Didn't and quite you get, you know. We're yeah, getting uh, a little bit I of mean, a workout today at the wall.
1: Yeah, bloodied but unabowed. It wasn't quite how I intended <laughs> to go, but I mean, I'll, I'll take it because I actually managed to finish despite a, a couple of issues on the day. But thank you, Karen. appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for support out there as well. Right, okay, so the Dow, uh, nice even round numbers. I know you all like even round numbers. So down 500 points in the session on Friday. But the other big round number you want to look at is 29,000 because it has been lost for the first time since November 2020 as well. I'll just go through some of the month and quarter stats. I'm sure Karen will be looking at them a little bit later on. But for the month, the Dow was down 8.8%. For the quarter down 6.6% as well. Uh, And from its record high, the Dow is now heavily in bear market territory, not as much as some of the indices, mind you, other ones, I'll come to that, down 22.6%. I'll do the S&P very briefly for the month, down 9.3%, better for the quarter, down 5.3%, 25% off its record high as well. And as far as the NASDAQ is concerned, actually, 10.5% easier for the month as well. And we've seen a lot of those big name stocks uh, under enormous amount of pressure. And because of the high preponderance of those five, six, seven massive names from the NASDAQ, which have gone over to the S&P, that is why now they've more of a mirror on these two than you've perhaps ever seen historically when we've seen these big declines. Should we have a look at the Treasuries? Actually rather stable in many ways as well. We have seen it just abate from the highs on the yield. Two year, right at the short end of the curve, 4.2%, 3.786. Six, five, four decimals for you there. I don't charge you more for that. Uh, 10 year paper. Uh, trading just off its recent highs, we saw a 3.94 level, didn't we, at the uh, earlier in the week? And the 30-year paper, uh, which has been so contentious in the UK, looking at 30-year paper with that uh, of that liability matching strategy from UK pension funds, well, also um, 3.74% on the US side of the equation. What about these dollar crosses as well? Well, the dollar has been on an absolute raw uh, 3.0, uh, big pardon, down 0.1 of a percent. the index on friday but for the quarter for the quarter the dollar index was up 7.1 so let's have a look at some of these levels so pound sterling off its lows versus the greenback but again there's a lot of reasons, including the one Karen was talking to you a lot about last week Is well. Is there going to be, some stage next week, the, um, the, the, the Bank of England just holding off on some of its gilt purchases? Is that going to create more volatility for the gilts, for the pound, and of course for equities at some stage? Uh, the euro, don't get me wrong, as much, and I saw one comment today that, and I think it might have be been one of our guests actually, this is very much the tail, i.e. what's going on with gilts, wagging the dog which is going on in other European fixed income. I don't believe that for one moment. I think a lot of the factors that we're worried about in the UK, we're worried about uh, in Euroland as well, in the Eurozone as well, with the vast amount of unfunded spending as well. But the only difference there, of course, is you've got the behemoth that is ECB as the backstop, as opposed to uh, a substantial player, but not quite the same size of player that is the Bank of England. The dollar-yen, well, we're getting... V- that's interesting. Getting very close to intervention territory again, aren't we, where the BOJ, all out of the blue, boom, started um, selling dollars and buying yen as well. So are we going to see more of that if they test the upside on the dollar yen? Almost certainly. And of course, the dollar against the yuan as well. Absolutely fascinating what we've been seeing there. Uh, 7.1135. Let's have a look at the commodity space. I'll do this very quickly. Uh, Gold spot gold trading 16.62. It's been... Under pressure, but again seems to find a, a floor around the sixteen fifty level as well. Now, what happened to all you geniuses out there? And it was most of you, most of you. Uh, let's be honest about it. Who told me that oil was going to one hundred and seventy five dollars? That told me it was going to two hundred dollars. It told me it was going to three hundred dollars. Well, it may well do, but but it's going to take an OPEC cut to get us somewhere near, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? If, if things were so tight on the supply and demand equation, and I don't believe that things have changed that dramatically in the last couple of weeks, by the way. If things were so tight, why are we seeing an OPEC meeting, the first in-person one since COVID, yeah? Where they're actually potentially talking about taking a million barrels off the table. We'll speak to Hadley about this later on as well. Some of your upside calls look a little bit ambitious now, don't they? And you know who I'm talking to. Right, let's move on, have a look at the Asian markets. We are ex-China and ex-South Korea today. So we have the Nikkei up 5 tenths of 1%, ASX 200 down 3 tenths of 1%. Karen, let me hand it back to you.
3: Thank you very much, Steve. Coming up on the show, Russia's incorporation of four Ukrainian regions draws fresh sanctions, while the EU warns of a step up in Moscow's invasion of Ukraine.
1: And for more on where the UK's Conservative Party, and hence the government, goes from here, head over to the Squawk Box podcast. They've made a choice to be with their people, to be with the homeland, to live
0: its fate, to win with it. The truth is with us. Russia is with us.
1: That was Russia's Vladimir Putin speaking at a ceremony to mark Russia's claim on four invaded Ukrainian territories. Cut it short. It was a legal annexation, wasn't it? Um, Let us move on. Russia has held celebrations to mark the incorporation of those four Ukrainian regions into the country. It comes after the territories appeared to vote in favor of joining Russia in a series of referenda, which have been widely condemned and described as illegal. The move has prompted a fresh round of U.S. sanctions against key Russian officials, including its central bank governor, uh, that is Elvira Nabilina. Uh, The EU, meanwhile, accused Russia of violating international law, adding that it will never recognize the, quote, illegal referenda uh, and illegal annexation. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky responded to the annexations by announcing the country has formally applied for NATO membership. Uh, In a video statement, Zelensky said Ukraine was taking the step for the protection of its people and that the country's army had proven its compatibility with the military alliance. Ukrainian forces have reclaimed control of the key strategic town of Lyman in the Donetsk region, days after Moscow claimed the annexation of the region. An update uh, from the Russian defense ministry said troops had withdrawn from the town amid fears that they would be encircled. Russia's military has used Lyman as a key uh, logistics hub and its loss to the Kremlin marks the latest territorial setback for Vladimir Putin as Ukrainian forces continue to push deeper into Russian-occupied territory. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Alexei Goncharenko, who is MP in Ukraine. And Alexei, of course, we've spoken on a a couple of occasions. uh, Most recently, you and I are talking uh, in Davos. Alexei, look, let me just ask you a big question, which I don't know the answer to, but I don't know if you do either. Every single major conflict in history has had to end with some form of negotiated settlement at some stage. At this moment in time, do you see any scenario where there can be a negotiated settlement between Vladimir Putin's Kremlin uh, and, indeed, uh, uh, your own leader, Mr Zelensky?
4: Good morning. First of all, I will agree with you that all uh, conflicts were around with uh, negotiations. I just want to remind you Second World War. It was not negotiations when Hitler killed himself in his bunker. And uh, this war looks like uh, the Third World War. And Putin is acting absolutely copying Hitler. By the way, in Moscow, during this so-called annexation, he quoted Gibbons. And uh, so he is really like a pupil of Hitler. So I think he he should go his way. Uh, Ukraine is ready for negotiations any moment. But negotiations about what? About retreating of Russian troops from our territory? Sure. But as you see, Putin is not going to do this. And he claimed... uh, that the territories which he invaded are Russian, and now he says that it is Russia. So, clearly, he uh, chose uh, the way of escalation, and that's why the only answer which can be done, given on this is a battlefield, and Ukraine is doing this. We liberated Liman, we liberated number of, yesterday, we liberated number of villages and towns in the southern part of Ukraine, Kherson, and uh, uh, we will continue to do this.
1: Alexei, um, I, I don't want to go over history of you, and you know far more about this than me. But I mean, I know the likes of um, uh, Admiral Karl Dönitz and the likes of Kartel were needed at the end of the Second World War to negotiate a surrender. But I don't really want to get stuck on that point as well. But given what you just said, as well, given what you just said, and, and referencing Mr. Putin compared to the events surrounding the uh, end of Hitler's regime in the forty-five, is that the only scenario then that you see? the end of this conflict with a capitulation of the leadership in Russia?
4: Uh, it looks like we are moving to the, uh, on this track. We are ready once again. For us, the best option is to finish it as quick as possible to liberate our land. We don't want to take Moscow. We don't want to execute Putin on Red Square. That is, not, oh, we will be happy to, but it's not our intention and uh, like objective. We just want to liberate our country and people who are under genocide now, because Russia is committing genocide on occupied territories, and that is a legal analysis, so based on Convention of United Nations on Prevention of Genocide. So uh, that's what we want. But Russia, instead of uh, accept the fact that they failed, that their blitzkrieg failed in February, March against Kiev, then then they failed to, to uh, occupy all Donbass area. And now they're losing because it's starting from uh, the 1st of September, Ukraine liberated more than 1,000 square miles of territory, big part of territory, and we are continuing to do this. But instead of accepting this and coming to negotiations, Putin claimed that Russia started a mobilization in Russia, which will change anything uh, as the result. That, that this can prolong the war, but this can't change the result of the war. Because Russian army and Russia's Russian state is like a big dinosaur, massive body, tiny head and very tiny brains inside of this head. So their problem is not in the size of the body, but he still uh, wants to make to take just more people. So when Russia will realize it and accept it, we're ready to negotiate. But it looks like Putin will never do it.
3: Alexei, I want to bring up the response from Washington to the annexation of key regions. This has been met with further sanctions against individuals. Do they counter this point? Do they make a difference?
4: Uh, You mean the reaction of the free world? It is very important that nobody will accept it. But about what I think today the free world should think is what to do if Putin will go to mass destruction weaponry. Unfortunately, we see that he is threatening with this They're speaking all the time about nukes, they're threatening not only Ukraine, but their propaganda is speaking about attacking Poland, United Kingdom, uh, United States. And I think the most important issue today is to give a clear signal to Moscow that it will be a suicide for Russia in general and Putin himself. So I think this is the, 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 the biggest threat for the moment
3: so just quickly, if I can pick up on that nuclear side, because Washington has said it would respond decisively to the use of any nuclear weapons. Do you think that is enough of a warning deterrent to Putin at this point, given that he brought out the use of nuclear, warned the West and warned the world about it the previous week?
4: I think that also should be given other, more concrete signals, but they can be given to Russia privately. It's not necessarily to give them publicly, they should be given. And I just want to remind you that during all his speech in Kremlin, Putin underlined many times that this is his war not against Ukraine, but against Anglo-Saxons, against the West. He used different synonyms, but he spoke about free world and the reaction should be from the free
1: world. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com.